we have been in Haggai, and, and it's been a bit of a different spin for me because I'm used to coming and, and just unpacking a whole section, and, and then next, the next week moving on. And for the past three weeks, I feel as though I've been, I've been going in little segments and little spurts, uh, but hopefully you're still trekking along and getting something from it and, and enjoying the study of Haggai. Um, but we are in week three. Although we are still in sermon number one, as delivered by Haggai. Believe it or not, it's <laughs> he was long-winded. It took him three weeks to get one. I'm just kidding. Anyways, we are still in sermon number one. And if we look at chapter one, verse four, it says, Is, th- is it time of, for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. And we, we sort of looked at that last week. Uh, the people were dwelling in their panel houses. And the problem was not in the, in the sense of their house, but the problem was in a sense in their inner self. The problem was really in their hearts. They had misplaced their priorities they had made other things a priority rather than what God had called them to do. And so they made excuses. Oh, it's not time yet to build the house of the Lord. Oh, it's not time yet to, to build the temple. But the word of the Lord came to them and said, consider your ways. Consider your ways. And, and we won't repeat everything from last week. But Haggai 1, 7 to 9 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified. Says the Lord, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruin, while each of you busies himself with his own house. So God is bringing them back, and his main point is build my temple. Build the house. Restore the temple. Why? Because they had been in exile. They had been in 70 years of exile. And it was time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Not so they could boast of what they had done. But so that he would take pleasure in it. Not so that they could boast, oh, look at what I've done. Not so that they could boast of their spirituality. Look how much I've grown. Look how how spiritual I am. But so that he may take glory in it. Because when we are looking at this picture, it's an Old Testament figure of the temple that he was calling them to rebuild, a building. But when we are looking at it as New Testament Christians, we are looking at it in the perspective of we are temples of the Lord. Are we not? Do you understand? So when, when the Lord is calling us to rebuild, it's not for the sake of saying, oh, but I've been doing this to rebuild and, and boasting of what we're doing in our spiritual walk. It is that when we come to that place to rebuild our lives, it's to always and only point others to Jesus. It's always and only to bring glory to, 
to the name of the Lord, that he would take pleasure in it and that he would be glorified. And so we found out last week that there were some enemies that rose up against them as they were beginning to build this house. And we saw that those enemies were the Samaritans. They were a people group um, where they were, uh, they had, um, intermarried with people of the area and we looked at kings and and we saw uh, that when they had intermarried with the pagans of the land uh, these people became the Samaritans and the Samaritans well they worshiped a little bit of God and they worshiped a little bit of this and they worshiped a little bit of that but they weren't so heartedly given of themselves to the Lord they were a religiously compromised group of people. And we see that in the world today. We see people, many people call themselves Christians, not because they are devoted to the word of God, not because they are devoted to be a living example of Christ in their times, but because they subscribe to a denomination. They subscribe to some sort of church or religious network but we are talking tonight about rebuilding the temple rebuilding our lives and so in this group of people that came in the children of God are rebuilding the temple so what does he call them to do he says go up he says to them bring wood build the house so God's solution to the problem of the discouragement that had come into them because they were, they were rebuilding the house, they were getting things ready and this group of Samaritans had come in and they were their enemies. And if, you're, if you don't know, you'll have to go back and listen to that last week and the week before because if I repeat everything, then we don't have room for tonight. So this group of Samaritans comes in and discouragement enters the camp and they take their hands off the rebuilding and they take their hands off of the situation and what does God do? What is God's remedy for discouragement? What is God's solution when we face times of discouragement in our life when we should be rebuilding. His, his idea is not therapy. If I've injured an area on my body, I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to have physiotherapy. I'm going to perhaps have some pain management pills. This is not the remedy of the Lord. His prescription is not in the therapy. His prescription is this. Do what is right. Walk in obedience. Do what is right, walk in obedience. Believe it or not, one of the first steps in curing your discouragement is get things right in your life. Walk in obedience. God provided them with the wood. God provided them with everything that they needed to, to build this temple, but because of their discouragement, they withdrew, and so they went into uh, themselves. Psalm, Psalm 29, verse 1 says this, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. 
Now when we see, oh, actually we're going to go on to from Psalm 129 verses 1 to 5. I said just 1 to the media team, but I really mean 1 to 5. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks this. The cedars and the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Why is it significant that we look at that? Because when the Lord provided wood for them to build the house, he provided them cedar wood. Cedar wood is a very strong wood. Cedar wood is, is points us to the character and nature of God. For those that would use cedar wood in those days, it was a, a, an expensive wood. So they had to be people of wealth. Cedar wood was also used in the building of the former temple. And so the Lord is using cedar wood, but it's, it's speaking to us truly of God's strength and truly of God's power. Why? Because Psalm 29 said that the voice of the Lord is over the waters. If he can control the waters, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So he's demonstrating himself in that very element, I've made provision for you in this cedar wood, but this cedar wood also allows us to see the character and nature of God because it is used in the building of his temple. So the Lord will always make provision for the vision. His vision was to see his temple rebuilt. He made provision for them. If you go to Ezra chapter one, you're gonna see, and we'll go in there in just a moment, you're going to see all that was provided for his people. But he had an expectation that he was going, that, that he had given them. So in providing this wood, here they were for 15 years. Everything when they first landed or when they first returned to Jerusalem was provided for them. But 15 years later, they're sitting in their homes. And the scripture refers to it as their paneled homes. What did they do with the provision that God had given them? Did they perhaps use that cedar wood in building their own homes? Did they perhaps use what was provided to them in rebuilding the temple for their own home? Or what, what did they do with it? Is this why the scripture says that he, he said to them, consider your ways? It did, was he drawing attention to the fact that perhaps they had used the wood that he provided for them for the rebuilding of his temple, that they took that wood instead and put it into their own homes and rebuilt their own homes? We don't know, but they had no, we know this, that they were putting their priorities on their home and not on the Lord's temple. They were putting their priorities on what they felt at that time was important and not what God had called them to do. They were called to return back home to Jerusalem to build the temple. And they allowed the, the activities and, and the talk of man to distract them. They allowed man's negativity. They allowed man's negative talk and you can find that out in Ezra chapter 4. They allowed what the enemy had to say about them to cause them to withdraw 
that's it now. That's it. And they became fearful. And we said, fear and discouragement will arrest you. It will hold you in place. And this is what happened to them. And now God is saying to them, consider your ways. I've provided for you everything that you needed, but you're not walking in obedience. So the first thing to making repair of discouragement or discouragement and fear is obey God. Do what is right. Walk in obedience. Use what God has given you to accomplish his work. What he said to Moses, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? All that Moses needed, God provided to him. What is in your hand to do? What has God equipped you to do tonight? What is in your hand? That is where God brings us back to the basics, back to the beginning. Do what is right. Walk in obedience. Use what he has given you to use. For some of you, it's a gift of encouragement. Look around on a Wednesday night. Look around on a, on a Zoom meeting. Look around on a Sunday morning. Who's not there that you formerly used to have fellowship with and talk the scriptures with? Who's not there that you formerly would spend some time with after the service and linger and talk with them? Call them up. I miss seeing you. On a Sunday morning, I miss having that talk. I miss getting together with you and talking about the scriptures and talking about the sermon and what encouraged us in the sermon. Some of you have been gifted that you could take it beyond the pew and rebuild the temple of the Lord, not only in your own life, but in the lives of others. Because why? Some people are just stuck in their paneled homes if we were to take that that word from the um from Haggai some people are just stuck after COVID nothing looks the same to them nothing looks familiar to them and they're discouraged and they're fearful and they're afraid and what do we need to do what is in your hand to do pick up a phone What is in your hand to do? You could pray. What is in your hand to do? Say some words of encouragement. Some people have lost focus. You can bring them back into focus. Don't stop building your house. You can call somebody and encourage them in the Lord. And your words could be like gold to their heart. The people made themselves believe that their real problem was that they needed to give attention to their home. After all, they had been away for so long. We need to give attention to our home. We need to rebuild things. We, we, we need to fertilize our crops so we can have a good yield of, of fruits. Their displaced priorities caused them to focus on the wrong things. But the real root of it was because discouragement had set in. And now they felt as though they had nothing to offer. And so it jumps us to the second part. No matter what, obey. First we have, you want to do what is right, walk in obedience. But no matter what, 
You need to obey. One and two, the the first two steps, walk in agreement with each other. Obey. There's always, there are blessings that come with obedience. I used to say to my kids, oh no, you need to obey your parents because it's the only commandment that comes with a promise. I said, so if you want a long life and you want to live long in this life, you have one choice and that choice is to obey. And then they'd always go, ah, they would die at that, right? And so we all... There's something wrong with that? Telling my kids that? Don't tell them. Maybe if they listen to me tonight, they might might go, but there's something wrong with that theology. We teach then that obedience only brings blessings. And so we want to do everything so that we could be in the blessing. But guess what? We don't make that our motive. We obey because we love God. We obey because he's calling us to do something. We obey because this is what he has said in his word for us to do. We don't obey for what we are going to get. We obey because of our walk with the Lord. For Haggai 1, verses 10 to 11. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the lamb and the hills, on the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on men and beasts, and all of their labors. What happened? Because they were walking in disobedience, look what they faced. They faced a drought. They faced a drought on everything from the the hills to the grain to the wine to the oil. They faced a drought in every realm. Deuteronomy 7 verses 12 to 14 says this. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herbs, the young of your flock, the land that he swore to your fathers to give you, You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. Haggai 1 shows us the very opposite to this blessing. Why? Because they walked in disobedience. They walked uh, opposite to the covenant relationship that they should have had with their God. They allowed man's talk and man's ways and man's ideas to cause them to step back. And in that disobedience, they face what God had said would be the drought, they faced the drought on the hills, they faced the drought in every way. So the blessings that come with obedience is the blessings on our growth, on our prosperity, on our fertility. But disobedience, it brings death. It brings a poverty. It brings a futility. And so this is what he said as a response. Remember, verse 8, we keep going back to it. Go up to the hills 
and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. Why? That I may be glorified. You obey so that he would be glorified. You obey so that he would take pleasure in it. Not for the blessings, but the blessings can come. The blessings would come, but it's not your obedience is not for the motive. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Your obedience is for the motive of walking in covenant relationship with God. How many times are we obedient just for the blessing? If we were to just be honest tonight, how many times are we obedient just for the blessing of what it will give us? Elizabeth Elliot, in a book called These Strange Ashes, tells this African fable. And so it's not a true story from the word of God, but it speaks of Jesus. And it says this, Jesus was walking along a rocky path with with his disciples and he asked each one of them to pick up a stone to carry it for him. And so they obeyed. Peter happened to pick up a small one while John, he picked up a heftier one. Jesus then led them all up to the top of the mountain and to the disciples' surprise, he turned the stones into bread. The disciples were hungry and so Jesus told them, eat the bread in their hands. And because Peter's stone was small, it was tiny, the bread in his hands was little also. And so it was like maybe more so like what we would have on a communion. John's stone He picked a big one. And so John had a giant loaf to eat. A few days later, Jesus is again walking with his disciples on another rocky path. And he says to them, pick up a stone and carry it for me. Oh, but this time Peter was smart. This time Peter picked up a big stone. He picked up the biggest one that he could carry. Jesus this time didn't lead them up to the mountain, though. He took them to the river instead. And the disciples stood on the bank wondering, what would Jesus bring us here for? What was he doing? And so he said to them, throw your stones into the river. And each man obeyed. Can you imagine Peter's eyes? He glanced, expecting to wait for a miracle. Nothing happened. They watched and they waited. Nothing happened. The stone simply sank into the river, landing on the bottom of the river. No bread and no blessing. Jesus, with great compassion, looked at his disciples and he said to them, For whom? Did you carry the stone? You see, Peter, when the Lord turned the stone into bread, he realized, oh, I should have grabbed a bigger stone because all he had was just a morsel to eat. But then when the Lord decides to teach them a lesson, remember, it's a fable, but it gives a good principle. And Peter this time picks up a big stone because he wants to get a big blessing. 
He throws a stone in and finds that all it does is sink. You see, what's the message here? When your motives are for your selfish gain, it will sink. But when it's to glorify God and that he would be exalted and that he would take pleasure in it, it's for the multiplication and the feeding of your spiritual soul. What would you rather do tonight? Walk in obedience that your spiritual soul would grow, that then others would see Christ in you, that God would be glorified in you, therefore drawing others to him? Or would you rather carry a stone and just have something to eat? Obey God. Point one and two. Obey God. Obey God. Ask yourselves, will I still obey even if I don't get the blessing I was hoping for? That should do a character check. That should do a spinal alignment. Usually we go to the, to the chiropractor to receive a spinal alignment, to receive a crack here and a crack there. But here I'll tell you how to put your spine in place every morning. Lord, if... None of your blessings come the way I anticipate them to come. I will still obey and serve you. That'll put your line, your, your spine in line. I will still obey and serve you if none of the blessings that I perceive you to give me come my way. I'll still obey and serve you. And so this is where we would apply remedy number three. Draw on the resources of others for your strength. Draw on the resources of others for your strength. How could this story of them building the temple, how could you say draw on the resources of others for your strength? What spiritual nugget could there be in that? God puts people's, people in our life to bring, bring us strength, to bring us encouragement. They could bring us encouragement through their generous giving, through their words, through their legitimate concern for our lives. But here in Haggai, if we were to go back to Ezra chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says this, the enemies came to weaken their hands. The enemies came to weaken their hands. If you were to put that up, if the media could put Ezra chapter 4 verse 4 up in the King James Version because in the ESV the it says then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build now the King James Version says this that they weakened the hands of the people of Judah. They weakened the hands of the people of Judah. So what is, when we see the word discourage, if we were to cut it away and we take away disencourage, what it is is when courage has been removed from the scene. When the people came, when the Samaritans came to weaken the hands of the people, they became discouraged. They came 
with a mandate to weaken the hands of the people. Oh, you think it's only in Ezra chapter 4 when they were actually working on the temple? Go to Ezra chapter 1 verse 6. And it says this, And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. What was being said here? What was supposed to happen here? If we put that same verse up in the King James Version, then what does it say? And all they that were about them strengthened their hands. You see what was the the original mandate to build the house of the Lord? They were to strengthen their hands. So Sister Glory, only because you're here in front of me, I'm going to do this. Come. Well, I'm going to do this, and I, I go to you, and I say, come. Okay, they they, their original mandate was to build the house of the Lord, to strengthen their hand. The Lord provided aids that would strengthen their hands. So I got to, I have to, I got to, I have to turn you this way. So this is what the, the strengthening of the hand would be, okay? The strengthening of the hand would be like this, okay? When I was in nursing, There was a code one day in the hospital. Uh, This specific code meant that there was a patient that was missing. And so when that happens, each nurse or each healthcare provider from each floor has to respond. And they are designated to an area where they will go and look. Okay, so I respond and I'm sent to the northeast area of the hospital outside. So as I go to the northeast area of the hospital... And I see there is an overpass. I see an individual on the opposite side of the guardrail. This individual had intentions to just allow himself to drop into the oncoming traffic. I ran to the area. And as I get there, I grabbed the hold of the individual whose hands were holding onto the guardrail here. Okay. And I grabbed the hold of his arm there. Okay. As I'm grabbing a hold of his arm, I'm just encouraging him, you know, you don't want to be doing this, da, 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 da. And another hospital worker started coming. And he, when he got there, the two of us, we were able to pull this individual over onto the right side so that they would not bring harm to themselves by falling into the oncoming traffic. What was the key in stopping him from falling or letting go. It wasn't in holding his wrists. It was in, it was expo, it was putting my strength into him by grabbing a hold of his arm. And as I exhorted my strength onto him, exerted, I should say, my strength onto him, that is what held him because he could have let go at that point. But I still had a hold of him. If I held him here at the wrist, he could have let go, but it wouldn't have been the strength that was needed to hold him in place. When the Lord made provision for the temple to be built, he intended that there would be those that would aid in the rebuilding. And that is you and I, brothers and sisters, that we would strengthen the arm of 
love each other, that we would look around and see who can I strengthen today? In what way could I be used of God to strengthen the arm of another? You see, thank you, Sister Gloria. You see, that day, what I did not know that I learned afterwards was that individual that was holding on to the guardrail and ready to allow themselves to drop into the oncoming traffic had surgery something like a month or two prior. That had nothing to do with why they were in hospital. They had had surgery on the tendons of both their wrists. They had a nerve disorder and so... What would happen was when they would hold things, they would just accidentally drop them. Not intentionally, but the nerve needed to be repaired. I didn't know this. God knew this. But my natural impulse was to grab the forearm. If I had of in that situation grabbed the wrong area... Because they were still in the recovery process, because they were still in the process of rebuilding their strength, I would have done damage. I would have done damage in this sense. All those eight ligaments and tendons and, and wherever the surgery had been done to bring repair would have suffered an assault against it. The enemies came to weaken their hands. Why? Because the enemy always works counter course to what God had intended. While you are rebuilding, while you are in this place of discouragement, look about. Who can you draw strength from? It takes wisdom and it takes discernment. You can't just go to anybody. But who can you draw strength from? The Lord brings this message through Haggai and he speaks to the people. I am with you. I am with you. Haggai 1.13. I am with you. The Lord wants his people to know. I got you. I am strengthening you. I am exerting my strength into you. I am with you. So they were all about them. And what did they do? They strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, gold. So there we, we see, when we, we look at it in the ESV, that aid is the one who comes in strength. How could you be an aid today coming out of COVID? How could you? It's not just the work of the pastoral team or the leadership team of a church. To rebuild the church. It's the work of the people as well. How could you go and grab the arm of, of another. And be an aid to that other. And rebuild them and strengthen them. Nehemiah 2.18 says. And I told them how the hand of my God. Had been favorable with me. And also about the king's words. Which he had spoken to me. Then they said let us arise and build. And so they put their hands to do the good work. What happened? 
Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall. This is post rebuilding of the temple. He's rebuilding the wall and he gives a testimony of how God had been favorable with him. And while he's giving that testimony, the others are encouraged by it. And what do they say? Let us arise and build. And so what did they do? They put their hands to do the work. When you're discouraged, obey God. Do what is right. Obey God. Work with what he has given you. What has he deposited within you? Use what he has deposited within you to walk in your obedience. What else? Then seek out those that could encourage you, but then that you could be an encouragement to others through the testimony of what God has done in you. And that's the next point. Find someone who will encourage you in your life. Find someone who's going to encourage you. You're down. Find somebody who's going to cheer you on, per se, if we were to speak of a, of a team playing together. And not all players are on the court at the same time. Sometimes the, the, the coach will put his strongest players at the beginning of the game. And in the middle of the game, he might put some of his weakest players. But at all times, those that are on the sidelines that are still a part of the team are cheering the others on. Look for somebody to encourage you. Look for somebody that you could encourage encourage you in your faith. Isaiah, Ezra chapter 1 again, verses 7 to 11. Also King Cyrus brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem, and he put it in the house of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought out by the hand of Mithreth, that, that man, the treasurer, and he counted them out to Shishbazar, the leader of Judah. Now this was their number, 30 gold dishes, 1,000 silver dishes, 39 duplicates, 30 gold bowls, 410 silver bowls of a second kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver totaled 5,400. Sheshbazar brought them all up with the exiles who went up from Babylon to Jerusalem. What in the world does this have to do with finding someone that will encourage you in the faith? Oh, it has a whole lot to do. If you came to church after COVID, you came to church after you hadn't been in church for a while. You came to church after after you've been a prodigal from the faith, what are you looking for? Something that's familiar to what you remember it to look like before. Something that bears resemblance to what it formerly was. You know what happens to you when all of a sudden a song is sung? And the memory of that song brings you back to the day when you were saved. The memory of that song brings you back to a time when the Lord healed you. The memory of that song brings you back to a time when the Lord had done a deposit within your life. Well, these articles that Cyrus had taken, that, that Nebuchadnezzar had taken, and Cyrus returns to the house of the Lord for these fellow Jews to see the things that once were in the temple that they knew had been stolen rekindles them. I remember when we had fellowship together. 
I, re- I, I remember, and they could have talk of what the remembering brings to them. And it encourages them that once there was this article in the temple, and it's been restored. It may not seem like a significant scripture, but you, when you stop and you consider, everything that God puts in his word is for a reason. He doesn't put something for nothing. I remember when, uh, if you go Ezra chapter 2, and, and it talks about this man, and, and they came with Zerubbabel and Joshua and Nehemiah, and, he, and it lists all these people's names. I remember reading this and going, oh my goodness, Lord, all these people, but who in the world are they? Do I even have to read it? And so I, I went like this the first time. I went till all the names were ended, and then I began to read. But guess what? The Lord says to my mind in that time those names are important just as your name is important to me they were a part of my picture just as you are a part of my picture you see there's nothing written in the word of god that isn't significant even to the point of these artifacts being these articles excuse me being returned to the temple it was to encourage the people that what was once stolen from them, God restored. What the enemy has stolen, God will restore. For every individual that the enemy has taken out of his house, God will restore. That's the word that we could take as we look at this. Find someone who's going to encourage you. And I'm not just telling you about finding someone who's going to put a pat on the back and say, good job. I'm telling you, find somebody who's going to bring you that scripture passage with all them names that you can't read, neither pronounce, or you don't even know, just to let you know you are equally important to God. Find somebody who's going to bring the word of God to you that is going to nourish and fuel your life lastly and maybe the most significant you know what believe who jesus said he was learn to lean on the presence of god obey god do what is right obey god do with what you have in your hand to do. What has he given you to do? What has been depot- provided into you to do? And obey God with that. Look to get encouraged. Find somebody who's going to encourage you. Look for some cheerleaders. But most importantly, look for Jesus and his presence in your life. Because Jesus said in his word, and he wants us to lean on his word, that his presence is with us always. What did he say? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will not leave you abandoned. I will not leave you as orphans. Genesis 26 and 24 says this, as the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not for I will bless you and multiply your offspring. Genesis 28, 15, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Learn to lean into the presence of God. 
Joshua 3 and 7, the Lord said, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know what? As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Isaiah 41 and 10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He's got a hold of you. He's exerting his strength into you. Jeremiah 1 and 8, don't be afraid of them. I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 1 and 19, they will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you. Why? For I am with you to deliver you. Learn to lean into the presence of God. He hasn't left you. You are not an orphan. You are not alone. He is with you. Why? Because Matthew 28 And 20 says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It doesn't stop with tonight. He's not only with you in church tonight. He's not only with you when you are in Bible study or in prayer meeting or Sunday morning service. He's with you until the end of the age because he entered into covenantal relationship with you when you turn to him. And you walk in that obedience. First Timothy 4.17, Paul said this to the very young, timid guy. And that's you and me. We all face our timidity. We all face discouraging days. We all face days that, you know what, Lord? I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. And he says, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued. What? From the lion's mouth. Paul spoke into Timothy, Timothy, don't be afraid. The Lord was with me. He rescued me. Timothy, don't be afraid. The Lord strengthened me. Why? So I can come and give you the message. God has strengthened you. Share that strength with another. God has encouraged you. Bring that encouragement to another. God has cheered you on. Cheer somebody else on. That's what he's called us to do. We are rebuilding the temple of the Lord. But the rebuilding starts right here in you and me. Do what is right. Obey him. Do what is right. Take what he's given you and obey him. No matter what, obey him. Find a cheerleader. Find somebody that will encourage you. But... Above and beyond all things, lean into the presence of God. Tonight, can we lean into the presence of God? Tonight, can I ask you to do something that may be a bizarre thing? Can I ask you that while you're praying amongst the many things that we pray for concerning this house and concerning our city and our nation, can I just ask you to consider, Lord, would you show me one, two, three people That you need me to call. That you need me to go to, to encourage. That you need me to pray for. Maybe you won't even speak to them for a while, but you'll pray for them regularly. And then all of a sudden, God will have you to cross paths. 
Maybe your prayers is what will bring them back into the house. Maybe that invitation, sister, I'm going to come and pick you up. You've been housebound too long. COVID has bound you by fear. I'm coming Sunday morning. We're going to go to church together. Maybe, maybe tonight God wants to drop into your heart, into your mind, somebody that you could encourage because they are discouraged. Somebody that you could apply this to, like Paul did for Timothy. Can you be that Paul to a Timothy in our house? Father God, I thank you. I thank you because, Lord, in a book like Haggai, you can find so much to teach us about. In a book like Haggai, God, you can speak to us today of what we can do in, as we come out of post-COVID and we rebuild your house, oh God, but more importantly, God, we rebuild our spiritual lives. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be the people that would use every means that you've provided with each and every individual that is here tonight. And that, Lord, we would use it to build your kingdom. Not for the pat on the back that it will give us, Lord. Not for the pat on the back that it will give us that we brought this one or we did that. But, Lord, because it all points back to you. It all is for your pleasure and for your glory. In Jesus' name, Lord.